Um, the story we're starting to look at today, we're moving on from the story of Jesus healing the blind man, and it's now beginning the story of Jesus raising uh, this guy Lazarus from the dead. And it starts off and it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And then it says, this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, It's an interesting thing here at the beginning because it points to something saying, here's this guy, he's about ready to die. And uh, so there's this pretty serious problem. Right? It's not like, you know, there's lots of problems that we go through. But like, it's not that like having a loved one that's nearing death unexpectedly or that is the greatest of all problems, but, but it's an indicator of it's in the realm of serious problems, right? It's not a trivial thing. So, so it's a, a, a serious problem that's there. But then it's interesting because the passage starts to define it uh, not so much in terms of Lazarus and what he was going through. Really, nowhere does it say anything about Lazarus and what he was going through other than he was about ready to die, which may have been he was fine with it. We don't know. But, But it starts to talk about it in terms of the effect that this problem is having on these uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, and then it starts to hone in on Mary, and then it gives this definition of Mary. She is the one whom uh, poured out this perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair. The problem is, if you were reading through John, it'd be like, what story is that? (laughs) Because that hadn't been talked about yet. It's the next story. Uh, In chapter 12, it says that Mary has this about a pound of costly perfume, which we'll, we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But, but what that means is that, you know, like back in their day, you didn't have like a 401k or something like that for retirement. You had to find something that could survive time and mold and whatever. And, and perfume happened to be one of those things. And so people would take their savings and save up. It was like your... So, so in other words, when she poured out this, uh, this pound of perfume, which we'll see, it, it was about akin to her pouring out her life savings. And, uh, and the story we'll get to it is like, everyone's sort of like, well, this could have been used to help people. It really wasn't really used for anything other than just pouring it on Jesus. It'd be like emptying out your entire bank account and all of the money that you had saved for retirement later on in life when you really need it, and you're just pouring it out. And so it's an interesting thing because it's saying here at the beginning that there's this problem and Mary is focused on this problem, but there's something about the way that Jesus is handling this problem that doesn't go the way she thought it was going to go, but ended up in such a way that the result was she gave up her entire life savings and poured it out at Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair. Like, something happened to this woman. 
in the process. There's some sort of thing where, where she understands here. It says, so the sister sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the, the one you love is sick. There, there's something that she understands about the love of Jesus. But there's something that happens to her in this process that, that takes that to a whole new level. There's something within her where she sees it there kind of, but something in this process and the way that Jesus does it brings her to a place where she's clearly able to receive love and give love in a greater capacity. Unabandoned, you might say. Without strings attached. Just sort of giving herself fully to this idea of being loved and and giving love. It says, when he heard this, Jesus says, the sickness is not going to end in death. No, it's for the glory of God so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. And yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. So he's... he's it's not what they expected. It's not the solution to the problem that they thought. He does solve the problem, which will get to. But there's something about the way that he's addressing it that isn't just addressing this problem, though it's very serious, but addresses a problem that, that she has. I remember uh, last week I felt kind of bad because I started going down this little tangent of sarcasm about church membership. We've got this meeting coming up and and our church has membership, and membership is a wonderful thing. But it has nothing to do with membership. I do this all the time in sermons, and I'm sorry. You'll hear me start to digress on something about church, and I just kind of go down a negative road. I get sarcastic, and there, there's... I was trying to think because I felt kind of bad about that. But, uh, you know, why? It's like, oh, I don't know. But then, you know, part of it is... is Going to church growing up, and this isn't really it, but I'll just tell you the story anyways, even though this isn't the problem. The way I tend to work out. My parents would sort of, it wasn't that they dragged me to church, at least not initially. I kind of wanted to, you know, whatever, it was fun means. But but what would happen is after a year or two of going to a church, we would just all of a sudden leave. And it'd be like, well, I kind of just got some good friends here, and now I've got to sort of leave all those friends and walk into another room of strangers, which was just a a painful experience for me, you know, younger, like going into a room of just like complete and utter strangers. And then like, you know, when you finally have some friends and stuff, you kind of want to keep those friends. Anyways, my parents would always say, well, things are about ready to sort of deteriorate. And it'd always be something like, you know, the pastor had an affair, but I didn't know. But it was about ready to just go. Or the pastor had embezzled some money, and I didn't know, but it was there. Or, or sometimes it'd just be like people were, you know, 
It could be, what, what I say is a silly thing. I'm sure it's a very important thing. But like the church was deciding that they were going to have elders or something like, you know, it'd be like some theological issue. And it'd be like, now everyone's going to start yelling at each other over this issue. And uh, anyways, I've got some sort of deep-seated, maybe a little bit silly, but I've just got some issues with that. And I remember later in life, prior to meeting Karen, um, just like when I got, you know, graduated from high school, went out on my own, just wouldn't go to church unless I was hungry and they were serving a spaghetti dinner, then I would go for like if I, you know, somehow, anyways, or unless I was kind of like my usual haunts of trying to find a girlfriend or something like that, I might like, okay, I'm going to digress and go see, you know, something. Anyways, there was nothing pure about it. There was just these different things. So I I wasn't, I was like, I was totally detached, but I was, there was just these other, I I remember, you know, now I'm a pastor of a church and uh, I remember sensing the Lord calling me to something like that, but just thinking, Wow, God, you know, this church around me is just so broken. The only way that this can get worked out is I need to, maybe I'll go to a church. If I go to church, it's got to be in another country. Because I just sort of associate it with, it's like, if there's any hope, there's no hope for the church that I've experienced. The only hope would be if there was some church somewhere else on some other planet where it had developed in a different way, there would be a hope there. And to this day, like there's been a few times where like things, you know, even as a pastor, things go like haywire at a church. And it's like, you know, when the stress level gets up, because I'll say to Karen, it's like, you know, there's this church in Egypt that's looking for a pastor. (laughs) I just kind of go back to, it's got to be something, you know, Some other country, you just keep going back. The only reason why I bring that up is because it's not that there wasn't real problems with church. There was. And there still is. But I was completely oblivious to the fact, and still I'm just now in my old age starting to grapple with the fact that it's not this problem out there that there's actually something kind of broken in me and that part of why it's not that that I'm necessarily causing the problem it's not that God's causing there's just is problems but the problems bring up something that there's just something broken in me also and I just wasn't aware of that I just constantly thought well the problem is with church get away from church, no problem, you know. But we don't stop to think that, like, there's actually, there might be something that's broken in us. And that's the wonderful thing about the glory of God and and what Jesus is getting at here. It's not that he's being insensitive or teaching her a lesson or, like, we, you know, you could preach a whole sermon on the value of waiting. <laughs> you know, it has nothing to do with that. It's just, we've been reading these stories and there's like the, the feeding of the 5,000, this man receiving sight. I mean, it's a huge miracle. 
And now this person's going to get raised from the dead, which is a huge miracle too. They're all on this expansion. But we sort of go through life thinking like, oh, I've got this problem, I've got this problem, and if it can get fixed, like someone can fix it, then everything will be great. But we don't stop to think that the glory of God isn't just that he heals a blind person, that he gives us some unexpected amount of money, that he provides a house. These, and they're not external things, and I don't want to belittle them and say that they're... Pro- these are very serious problems, but that the glory of God isn't just that he does that, but the way in which he does it, he does it in a way that addresses something that's broken within us. And so it's not to belittle Lazarus that he's talking about, Mary. It's just to be able to say, and he's even going to say, this is, I'm happy this is happening for your sakes to the disciples too. It's not to belittle the gravity of this. It's not to say that there's not a problem. It's not to say there's a, it's just to say that the glory of God is that he doesn't just address things, but he does it in a way that addresses something that's broken in us. And the way that this passage is laid out in in terms of she knows, she doesn't even say to Jesus, me whom you love is asking for this. She says, my brother whom you love. You can tell there's some sort of little disconnect there. And it says, no, Jesus loves her and her sister and Lazarus. But in her way that she's vocalizing, it's like, you love my brother. So out of the... What's broken in us has to do with this. It's difficult for us to sort of... What's broken is our ability to sort of receive and give love. And we keep wanting that. And the different problems in life, they're problems in and of themselves. But they bring that issue up for us. And sometimes it's, you know, everybody else's fault. I'm sure most of the time it is everybody else's fault. Maybe it might be, you know, a couple times our fault. Okay, I'm being sarcastic. Sorry, no one laughed. That's that judgment. You guys think that was serious? No, okay. Uh, it's just to say that part of the disconnect that we have is that we, it's hard for us to grapple with that something is broken in us. But the good news of the gospel is it's not just Jesus going out and fixing the problem, but he's fixing this internal problem that we have of just we can't live in or have what it is that we want, which is to have these, to be able to love someone and have them love us in return. And here's what happens. It says... Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews that were there tried to stone you. That's how the story ended of him healing the blind man. They, it ended with controversy and them just wanting to kill him, which is sort of everything always ends in controversy and everyone wanting to kill each other, whether we say that or not. Thank goodness we use so much restraint in this world. No, I'm just teasing. Okay. Uh, but he says, in a short while there, and now you're going back. Jesus said, so to understand what he's about to say, he's addressing 
the way they're thinking about this problem. They know that he loves Lazarus, loves Mary, loves her. But there's this problem that if he acts in love towards them, he's going to get killed. It's a small problem, but one that we encounter in love. If we go ahead and act in love, we know we're going to get killed. That's just the way it is. And so the solution is, is what Jesus had done, is you just sort of stand back from it. That there's a certain sense of security in just sort of standing back. You know that's there. That's kind of there. I know you have the love. But because of whatever is going on, it's good for me just to, I'm going to solve that by just sort of standing back from it a little bit. That never really solves the problem. I, I remember I used to deal with that. That's a, I mean, I still, that's just my Achilles heel. I'll, uh, you, you know that you've got this problem, loving, but, but whether you know it or not, you just know that there's going to be some hurt involved here. And my, this is my sort of go-to. My go-to is to just sort of step back out of that. And just think if I can kind of hold myself, if I cannot get involved, if I can just not care about this, then problem solved. <laughs> you know, and that's a big problem with church too, as we, we try and think of all the ways that we can help that doesn't require us to care. <laughs> and and not, we can express our caring by doing something to care, but we'll withhold ourselves from becoming emotional about it, because if we do, you know, that's just going to... What Jesus says then, is he says, look, one, we keep looking at the problem as being this without seeing that there's something broken in us, but then that causes us to just sort of stand aloof, and he gives this example or analogy. He says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? And I'm sure in their region there is 12 hours. I'm not sure how many there are. It doesn't matter if there's 14 hours of daylight. You get the point, right? Maybe if you were up in Alaska, there'd be like 24 hours of daylight. So the Bible has errors. No, I don't know. You can get the grasp of it. He's just saying 12 hours of daylight. To say that there is a time of daylight on earth, supposedly. And those who walk in daytime, right, he's just saying in general terms, will not stumble. So he's just saying, look, here's the way things are around us. You've got this sun, there's a certain period of time, it's shining light, and that's the time when you go and walk around because you can tell that the sidewalks are all jacked up and you won't trip. But if you walked out at night, you're going to trip whether they've got the... Anyways, you, you get the idea, right? There's... Daylight, and because it's daylight, you can walk around and, and harm doesn't come or, or trouble or, you know, you don't stumble. And then he says, those who walk in the daytime will not stumble. And then he says something really interesting, for they see by this world's light. So he's pointing out that the reason why, you know, we can kind of get around is because there's this sun up there 
that's shining light down on us. And then he says, it's when people walk at night that they stumble. And then this is what's really interesting. He says, because they have no light. Or what he, it's saying is, he says, because there is no light in them. Which is an interesting thing to think of. He's saying, look, the only reason why things work out when you're walking around is because there's this external thing, the sun, that's shining light down that enables you to walk around. And when that's not there, then you just stumble all over the place because there's no light in you. See what he's saying? Jesus had earlier said, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of life, he says. What he's saying is we keep thinking that we're going to solve this problem by fixing something within us so that we will have light that enables us to walk around without stumbling. And he's saying there's really no hope in that. You're not going to have light coming from you. It's Jesus when he says there's, there's no one good but God alone. What he's saying is, is there, we, we just don't have, it's not going to get fixed, <laughs> you know. But we keep hoping that, well, if I get you know, figure out this or figure out this or we come to some sort of common understanding about this or about that, that there's something that he's saying, look, if you look at Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead and then he died. <laughs> he died eventually. The, the man who was blind had sight, but there was plenty of other problems and then he died it. What he's saying is, is the glory of God, we think, first of all, that it's just about solving everyone else's problems that everyone else is causing, but we can't consider that there's something broken in us. It's addressing something broken in us that's deep. That's, it's not the cause of all these problems, but, but what we're, what's really stressing us out is this is broken. But he's not addressing it by fixing that. He's saying that the fix is just like there's the fix isn't that like we have to walk around beaming with light. That would be super irritating anyways. Just like blinding everyone. like you'd have to wear sunglasses around everyone. It's not the fix. He says it's that light comes in. What he's saying is this. That the hope that we need to have what the fix is, what Mary, the change that happens is she shifted from that this problem need to get fixed, I need to get fixed, this need to, everything that needs to get fixed to just seeing that Jesus is capable of working everything out in spite of whatever else is going on. You know, the reason why they weren't stoned to death before wasn't because they were so tricky and had figured things out. It was just Jesus just walked away from it. Jesus is the reason why they weren't stoned. They, they can go back... And they didn't die. They were all going to die later. But they didn't die as they thought when they came back. And the reason why is because Jesus has a plan. And what he's saying is the hope that we have needs to shift from us and everyone else getting fixed to it's sufficient to just have a hope that Jesus is going to work things out with broken people. Does that make sense? It's like, I don't, I used to live in the hope that everyone else would get fixed, live in the hope that I was going to get fixed, but then 
it's a huge relief to realize that I can be broken, but Jesus still loves me. I can be broken. Nothing can get fixed with me, but my relationship, he can still work it out with himself and with other people. He says it's that is what all these miracles are coming out to. It's not that like this problem is solved now because this happened. It's that he's, it's happening in a way for us to see. And I, I hesitate to say that it's okay for us to be broken because it's not okay. And God doesn't want us to be broken. And he will fix it one day. But for right now in this life, he can give us the love. He can work things out. We can experience it. It doesn't need to get fixed. It's, in other words, it's okay for you to be broken. It's okay. He doesn't require you to get fixed in order for him to love you and care. He doesn't require even an expectation that at some point down the road you're going to get fixed or that you're not going to be all messed up. He's completely and I don't know how to say this because it's not that he's content that you live your whole life broken. He doesn't want us to be broken at any point. But at no point ever is us getting fixed a requirement for his love for us. It's not a demand that he has on us. It's not something that he's withholding his love. It's not something that he's waiting because we need to get fixed. If he's waiting, he's waiting for whatever reasons he is choosing. And whatever reasons he's choosing, it has to do with his love for us. And he wants us to understand how much he loves us and cares for us. And that his love and his care and the salvation that he gives is in no way attached to the way that we thought it needed to get worked out. Jesus is purposely working out her salvation and what she has on her heart's desire in a way that's completely different than what she was expecting. And here's where it ends. It says, After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. And the disciples replied, Well, if he sleeps, he'll get better. That's sort of what we do with a lot of things. We just sort of figure, well, I mean, if I don't need to be involved, or we don't need to go down there. I mean, this isn't really that serious of thing. Why do I even need to get involved in this <laughs> type thing? That's another way of just sort of standing aloof. It says Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Sort of that fatalism. I remember uh, uh, well, I don't know. You know, just a, a lot of times we know that there's going to be a problem with this or this or that, and a lot of times we just avoid it. And, and, and then 
The second thing, when we realize, well, we're avoiding it, but now since I'm avoiding hanging out with anyone, I don't have anyone to love, (laughs) you know? And and so then you figure, oh, well, all right then, I just need to jump in and I'll just have to endure the hurt, (laughs) you know? I'm just going to have to stick with it. It's sort of this fatalistic thing, like, okay, well, I mean, we're kind of trying to stand aloof, that's not working. We just keep getting sucked in. You know, I tried to move out to Alaska to the middle of the wilderness and not have any people, but that UPS guy keeps showing up and now I have to deal with people again. I just keep getting sucked back in to this and all the pain of that. And so, so I'm just going to have to either stop using Amazon, which I can't do, or I'm going to have to just find a way to get along with this and I'm just going to have to endure the hurt of them putting the package in the wrong place or something like that. Now, I, I remember when I, uh, for the longest time I just uh, just avoided the idea of marriage because I just thought it's nothing but a bunch of hurt. Uh, just like I avoided church, I avoided a lot of things because I just, from my experience, nothing but hurt. Why even bother going there? Uh, until you start just feeling like super alone <laughs> and you start realizing it's like, whoa, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's a problem. I think it's a pretty good approach to just avoid people in general. But I would really like to have some sort of relationship with someone because it's kind of lonely. <laughs> but you know, Whenever you think that way, you sometimes then start thinking, well, if I jump in, I mean, I know it's just going to be hurtful and this. And, you know, if I go to church, it's going to be hurtful. If I start having friends again, if I start being open to people, uh, it's going to be hurtful. You know, if I start doing this or doing that or even at work, you know, you can kind of hold yourself back, never talk to anybody because, you know, if you start talking to them at work, it's just going to end in hurt. And you just hold back. But eventually, and you can actually go your whole life with that, so I'm not even saying. But sometimes we move on and we say, you know what? I just really don't want to be alone anymore, so I'm just going to have to suck it up and just take whatever hurt comes my way. And you get in this mode of this like weird little self-sacrifice mode. And that's what, like, following Jesus is all about, the self-sacrifice. They didn't sacrifice anything. The life they had was given to them to begin with. And God had been protecting it all along. The point that Mary comes to is she realizes, look, the cash that I've saved up, that's just been given to me by Jesus, and he doesn't need that in order to take care of me, but he's given that to me as sort of a crutch to help me, but I'm actually good without it, is basically what she was saying. What Jesus says is, I'm joyful and I'm rejoicing in the change that God is bringing in you to believe, a change that's seen in this woman pouring out her life savings, wiping his feet with her, whatever you want to say with that, a, a change where she comes to embrace him and see his love and his care in her life in a way that's allowed her to just abandon everything else. She didn't get fixed. Nothing got fixed. 
but she was able to experience it and she just embraced it. And he says, I'm rejoicing that God's using this situation to bring you into that same kind of thing. Well, what he's saying is, is, look, we're not going to be able to fix what's wrong with love by fixing all these external problems. We're not going to even get fixed in ourselves, but there is a hope in, in Jesus that, that he's powerful enough to overcome death, that he's powerful enough to give us the love that, that we want, even when we're broken. And we don't need to stand aloof. And, and we don't need to just say we're just going to suck it up and just endure all the pain. He's saying that the joy can be found by just looking for the joy, looking for the gladness in what it is that God is going to do and the joy that Jesus is going to bring. And if you look at that, there's a lot to be joyful about. There's a lot of problems, a ton of problems, a ton of reasons to stand aloof to stand back. A ton of reasons to just feel like we have to suck it up. But there is, in the midst of all of that, there's times when Jesus just does some really miraculous things. I mean, there's been relationships that I've had with people where everything that I've done and that they've done should be cause for us to be mortal enemies, (laughs) But for some reason, there just was a lot of grace in that. It just worked. I just had a lot of grace for them. They just had a lot of grace for me. And we lived in that grace. <laughs> and I'm not talking about Karen. I'm just talking about other people, you know, that you have. You can see that sometimes when you have a contact with someone. That there's just, I don't know how to say it. There's like... And maybe it's hard to find, but once you start looking for it, you start being able to tell that there's some odd things that happen where Jesus just gives us something that he says, I'm going to work this out. And it's not that they don't have any problems or that you don't have any problems. It's that you're wondering, it's like, how is it that I can get along with this person when they're so horrible and I'm so horrible? You know, why is it working at all? Why is there any joy in this at all? Why is it we can have fun doing this or doing that? What Jesus is saying is there is something broken. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to live in fear of it. We don't have to go down this endless quest of trying to fix, fix, fix it. And we don't have to just suck it up and endure it. That His glory can be seen, and His glory is seen not in just 5,000 people getting healed or blind men receiving sight or Lazarus being... All that is true and all that is glorious, and you will see those things. But the real glory of God is seen in the way that He gives us a love for one another to be able to receive that love, to be able to feel that love, to be able to give it, to be able to have it, even though everything's so broken. And he says, live for that or take joy in that. When he saw his disciples, it was broken. But he says, I'm not 
looking at where the situation is. I'm looking at the joy of where I see God taking this. And it wasn't that they got fixed. It's that He loved them perfectly. And it's seen with her, she had this opportunity to respond to that love. And there was nothing perfect about that opportunity. There's nothing like, oh, I need to go do the same thing. It was just her personal expression, the way she decided God gave her a way to respond. It's like that verse that says, for by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, which God created, that we walk in good works which God created beforehand. What he's saying is, is this. It's not just that we see that God loves us. It's that God gives us a way to walk in that love, to be able to experience it, to be able to, to give it back. And it's not that it's fixing anything or we're doing anything or we're making ourselves good or bad. It's just he gives us some ways that we can respond and express ever imperfectly our love back to him. Let's pray. Uh, stand with me and we'll pray together. and We'll have some folks up here to pray with you afterwards. If you have anything that this sort of brought up for you that you just like to lift it up to Jesus that you just need um, help from or even just a praise. If you've decided that you'd like to follow Jesus, you can feel your heart, you want to make that decision, um, they can pray for you also. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. And Lord, uh, just forgive us for being so broken and for just messing so many things up. But Lord, I really pray this week you would just give us the joy uh, of being able to see how much you love us and care about us and, and to hold on to that hope. And, and I pray that you would work things out with some other people too in, in a way that we could enjoy that same love with them as we do with you. We lift this all up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen.